Welcome to Fresh Catholic, a podcast for those who are converting, reverting, or simply want a fresh perspective of the Catholic faith to help them to open their hearts and minds to become closer to the love and goodness of Christ. My daily prayer is that I will be a bright light to others, to be filled with the love and light of Christ, so that when people look at me, they see Him radiating out from me for His glory. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Balderas, and I'm so happy you're here. So, it's Holy Week. Oh my goodness, it's Holy Week. We're, we're at the, the end of Lent. Can you believe it? I just really encourage you all to go back and write some notes about what you felt was successful about your Lent and what you would maybe like to try to do next year. And also, I think it's really important to go to all these Holy Week Masses. I hope your Lent has gone well. I hope it's been successful. And so here we are in Holy Week. So today I'm going to talk about the different days of Holy Week and what they entail and kind of a little bit of their history and what I think about them or my experiences with them. So this will be an interesting episode. So I I really do feel like Holy Week is a is a really heavy week and I honestly because again I'm not a theologian I'm not sure if other religions really put so much into this time of year I'm kind of assuming it's a catholic thing um but I could be wrong about that One thing I'm going to reference a lot in this episode is the movie The Passion of the Christ there's a few reasons why. One is I think it's one of the most exceptional movies I've ever seen. That being said, it's also definitely the most excruciatingly painful movie I've ever seen. But I'm going to reference it a lot because I am a very visual person. And before I saw The Passion of the Christ, I really couldn't get a picture in my head, to be honest with you, about all the events that were happening and the year that I became Catholic, I watched Passion of the Christ for the first time. I thought I was going to die when I watched it. I have never cried so much. I have never felt so much pain watching a movie. And I really force myself to watch it every year. Sometimes I do it on Good Friday, sometimes on Saturday, right before Easter. But I put myself through that just because it becomes so real when I'm watching that movie. It's so intense. Throughout the year then, anytime I'm hearing these particular readings about Christ's last moments on earth, I can picture it. I can see it. It just becomes really deep and meaningful to me. So if I reference it a lot in this episode, that's why. But anyway, if you haven't seen it, you must see it. And I challenge you to watch it um, once during Lent every year because it'll it'll make a huge impression on you i believe so yesterday was palm sunday and palm sunday is the final sunday of lent and the beginning of holy week it's known as palm sunday because palm fronds which are widely recognized symbols of peace and victory are distributed to parishioners who carry them in a ritual procession into the church to use in the reenactment of Christ's triumphant arrival in Jerusalem days before he was crucified. 
I always really kind of look forward to Palm Sunday. It's this beautiful liturgy. We do read the Passion narrative. It's a serious mass. But I love to go and get the palms and process in with the palms and have them blessed. And I just think it's a really meaningful mass. The palms are blessed and many people will fashion them into small crosses or other items of personal devotion. These can be kept for the year and returned to the church to be burned for the ashes on Ash Wednesday. I don't know how to do this, but my husband can make a cross out of the palms, so I really, (laughs) I like that. I need to learn how to do that. There's another challenge for everybody. Learn how to make a cross out of the palm fronds. (laughs) In the Gospels, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding a young donkey, and to the lavish praise of the townspeople who threw clothes or possibly palms or small branches in front of him as a sign of homage. This was a customary practice for people of great respect. I like to envision Jesus riding in on the donkey, and people are just, you know, so enamored with him at that moment when he was coming into Jerusalem. This isn't going to sound very respectful, but I always like envision like he was very rock star like, you know, like he was this very sought after, magnetic person, and all these people were just dropping, you know, these palm fronds, and they were, you know, cheering for him, and he's coming in. He's coming in on this donkey. It's very humble, you know, just like Jesus would be. The use of a donkey instead of a horse is highly symbolic. It represents the humble arrival of someone in peace, as opposed to arriving on a steed in war. It's so ironic to me that then they all turn so quickly, you know, um, and the next thing you know, everybody's, you know, spitting on him and and beating him and all these things so palm sunday you know was kind of like the last hurrah before you know everything really went deep and dark then we have spy wednesday this is when judas iscariot one of the 12 apostles made a deal with the chief priest to hand jesus over for only 30 pieces of silver Then he had the Passover feast the next day with Jesus and the disciples. So, Judas. Wow. Judas was one of the 12 apostles, and they were all a very tight-knit group. Here is Judas who turned and, you know, was bought. And all he got to turn Jesus in was 30 silver you know, coins. Just to give you a perspective in today's world, how much the 30 silver coins would be. So Judas turned over our beautiful Jesus, who was doing nothing but good in the world, for a mere 91 to $441 in present day currency. That just like really is shocking to me. The fact that he betrayed not just Jesus, but the rest of the group for such a small, minor thing, and he ended up immediately regretting his decision, went to give back the money, and they wouldn't take it. It was too late, you know, too late. Judas did the ultimate betrayal. You know, Jesus didn't deserve any of these things that were that happened to him, and one of his own friends and 
you know, brothers turned him in. And it's just like, it just makes me really sad to think that that would happen. But I also got to thinking that, you know, later, the rest of the disciples turned on on Jesus, maybe not in the same way, maybe not in this like very blatant monetary way, but the rest of them abandoned Jesus. How many times do we betray Jesus? Think about that for a minute. We betray him every time we don't go to Mass. We betray him when we sin. We betray him when we don't follow his guidelines and we don't love our neighbors or we don't forgive people or we don't love people. So think about that. We don't want to betray Jesus, and yet we do. So it's really easy to point fingers at other people, but we betray Jesus a lot too. So that was on Wednesday. What also shocks me is then he went through the whole next day, all day Thursday, because they had dinner, the Last Supper, on Thursday night. So Judas knew he was getting paid, knew he was going to turn over Jesus. And honestly, Jesus knew too, because when they sit down to the Last Supper, he's alluding to the fact that he knows he's going to be betrayed. The Last Supper was the final meal Jesus shared with his disciples in Jerusalem. Holy Thursday is the commemoration of the Last Supper of Christ, and he established the sacrament of Holy Communion prior to his arrest and crucifixion. During the meal, he predicted his betrayal. During the Passover meal, Jesus broke bread and gave it to his disciples, saying the words, This is my body, which is given for you. Subsequently, he passes a cup filled with wine and says, This is my blood, which is given for you. It is believed those who eat of Christ's flesh and blood shall have eternal life. And in The Passion of the Christ, one of the things I love in that film is there's a really brief moment where it shows Jesus with them at the Last Supper, and this is the first time he's breaking the bread and giving them the chalice, you know, and they're all just sitting there. They don't even know what this means. I mean, they're looking at him like, okay, you know, that's kind of the sense they have is like, we don't really know what you're doing, and, and but Jesus knows what he's doing, but That moment in the film is very fleeting, but it's very beautiful and meaningful. And I think about it a lot because it's just a beautiful moment. Following the Last Supper, the disciples went with Jesus to the Mount of Olives, where Judas betrayed him with a kiss, which alerted the guards as to which one was Jesus and who to arrest. And, you know, it also occurred to me that Jesus kept trying to tell these gentlemen he was with that he was going to be killed, and he kept prophesying what was going to happen, and they just kept brushing him off. No, Lord, that's not going to happen. Stop saying that. Not going to happen. They all just did, like didn't believe him. So after their meal, um, they go out into the garden, and Jesus asks the disciples, you know, please stay with me. I'm going to go over here and pray. And they all fall asleep. And they kind of abandoned Jesus, you know, and he goes over and says, why are you sleeping? You know, can you not wake up? I'm, you know, he was really devastated. He knows he's, you know, going to be taken to his death soon. And he's crying so intensely that he's, 
he's, he's just sweating blood. It's just so intense, you know, and he knows he has to do this, but, you know, he says to his father, father, if you can take this from me, please do. But if this is your will, you know, I'm going to do this. Um, paraphrasing of course, but, um, and next thing you know, here come these guards and here comes Judas. And what does Judas do? Walks up, kisses him on the cheek. And that was when the guards knew that was Jesus and who to arrest. So Holy Thursday, which falls on the Thursday before Easter, is celebrated in the evening because Passover began at sundown. Holy Thursday also commemorates his institution of the priesthood for his disciples, which is distinct from the priesthood of all believers. Christ washed the feet of his disciples who would become the first priests. There is such an abundance of symbolism in the solemn celebration of the events of Holy Thursday that are just layer upon layer. There is a special chrism mass in cathedral churches in which the bishop blesses the oil of chrism used for baptism and confirmation. The bishop may also wash the feet of 12 of the priests to symbolize Christ washing the feet of his apostles. The action of the church on this night also witnesses to the church's esteem for Christ's body present in the consecrated host in the adoration of the blessed sacrament, carried in solemn procession to the altar of repose, where it will remain entombed until the communion service on Good Friday. There is adoration of the blessed sacrament during the night, just as the disciples stayed with the Lord during his agony on the Mount of Olives before the betrayal by Judas. On Holy Thursday, I like the part of the Mass where the priests and the deacons wash the feet of some of the parishioners. I think it's such a humbling thing to watch. Like, not that I put those people on a pedestal, but, you know, in my mind and in my heart, the priest and the deacons are very important to me. And I look at them as a Really, I respect them a lot. And so to watch them humbling themselves and washing the feet of the parishioners like Christ did with his um, apostles, I just, I always just feel a really warm, soft love of the priests and deacons for doing that. I just really think it's a beautiful part of the Mass. No Mass will be celebrated again in the church until the Easter Vigil proclaims the resurrection. Good Friday is the day on which Catholics and almost all other Christians commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. According to the Gospels, the morning following Christ's betrayal by Judas and arrest, he was brought before a powerful cleric. He condemned Jesus for blasphemy for refusing to repudiate that he was the Son of God. From there, Jesus was sent to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the province. He then questioned Jesus, but found no reason to condemn him. Instead, he suggested Jewish leaders deal with Jesus according to their own law. But under Roman law, they could not execute Jesus, so they appealed to Pilate to issue the order to kill Jesus. Pilate appealed to King Herod, 
who found no guilt in Jesus either and sent him back to Pilate once again. Pilate declared Jesus to be innocent and washed his hands to show that he wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but the crowds were enraged. I always found it really fascinating that Pontius Pilate, this Roman soldier, really hard, he didn't want to kill Jesus. That I, I always find that really fascinating. He did not want to kill Jesus. He knew that he hadn't done anything wrong. And then, of course, he hands him over to King Herod, and King Herod actually was interested in Jesus and thought he was fascinating and wise, and he didn't want to kill the, him. And so then, of course, it turns on to you know the frenzied mob, and they were just chanting to crucify him, crucify him. Just horrible. To prevent a riot and to protect his station, Pilate reluctantly agreed to execute Jesus and sentenced him to crucifixion. Jesus was convicted of proclaiming himself to be the king of the Jews. It's it's a very intense scene in the Passion of the Christ. Again, if you watch it, it really is like troubling to see these people chanting this to an innocent person who, you know, was only trying to do good in the world. Before his execution, Jesus was flogged, which was a customary practice intended to weaken a victim before crucifixion. During his flogging, the soldiers tormented Jesus, crowning him with thorns and ridicule. Now, in the Bible, this is like literally one line, and then Jesus was scourged, I think it says something to that effect, very short. But in the Passion of the Christ, it's a very long drawn out scene, which is very excruciating. And so it's very watered down in the Bible, but the whole process of the scourging was very dreadful and horrifying. He was just beaten mercilessly. He was spit on. He was mocked. He was, it was just absolutely over the top gruesome, unnecessary. You know, they put like a crown of thorns on his head and dig it into his skull so he's bleeding. They put robes on him and mock him like he's, they're, you know, saying, oh, king of the Jews, and they're spitting on him and they're hitting him with things and they're just mocking him. And so again, he's just taking it. He's not, he's not back-talking. He's not retaliating. He's not doing anything. He's just taking it. It was just one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. Following his flogging, Jesus was compelled to carry his cross to the place of his execution. During his walk, Jesus fell three times, and the Roman guards randomly selected a Cyrenian named Simon to help Jesus. Imagine that he's so bloodied and injured. He's just so, like, he can't be any more injured. And then on top of that, they take this huge cross and they make him carry it. Like, it's like he's carrying his own instrument of death and they're making him carry it and drag it. So other criminals carry their crosses, but they're not injured. They haven't been scourged. And it's hot and he's injured And so he just, you know, he keeps falling. And one of my favorite parts 
in all this, in the Passion of the Christ, is when St. Veronica, who happens to be my patron saint, (laughs) St. Veronica, she sees Jesus and she goes over to him and wipes his face with a rag because it's all bloody and sweaty and dirty. And she wipes his face and the image that goes onto the cloth is what is the um, Shroud of Turin, which has Jesus's imprint of his face, um, which I've always found really fascinating. She just shows compassion for him. And that's like her one small thing she can do is to wipe his face. After arriving at Calvary, Jesus was nailed to the cross and crucified between two thieves. Crucifixion was an especially painful method of execution. It was reserved for the worst criminals. One of the thieves repented of his sins and accepted Christ while on the cross beside him. You know, he gets propped up and he's up there with these two criminals and, you know, his mother's there, the other Mary is there, John is there, and they're all having to witness this, so helpless, not able to help him. He knows he has to go through this. Again, they're still mocking him. And it's just so, you know just a really serious thing to think about. During Christ's last hours on the cross, darkness fell over the whole land. At the moment of Christ's death, an earthquake occurred, powerful enough to open tombs. The long, thick curtain at the temple was said to have torn from top to bottom. The body of Christ was removed from the cross and laid in a tomb, buried according to custom. Three days later, Christ would rise from the dead on the first Easter. You know, when I'm in Mass and I'm looking at the crucifix and he's up on the cross, I look at it in a whole different way now. Like I think before, I I couldn't really wrap my mind around it. And yeah, I could see that he was on the cross. And it just, you know, and I read about it. But then when I saw it in the movie, I was like, oh, wow, you know, it's, it's a long drawn out death and it's just very excruciating to the person and you know i mean just imagine like when you get a splinter or imagine when you you know hit yourself but imagine having nails in your hands and in your feet you know it's just it's it's a real serious awful image there's not a day that goes by that i don't have that image in my head it's good to Remember that, that that's what he went through. It's not something that's just a picture. Good Friday is a day of fasting within the church. Traditionally, there is no Mass and no celebration of the Eucharist on Good Friday. A liturgy may still be performed, and communion, if taken, comes from hosts consecrated on Holy Thursday. Baptism, penance, and anointing of the sick may be performed, but only in unusual circumstances. Church bells are silent, altars are left bare. So Good Friday is a very, I take Good Friday very somber and serious, and we fast on Friday. We can have the one meal, but we can't have any meat, and I go to the 12 o'clock Mass, and it's very sparse in the church, and it's very serious, and there is the Passion narrative again. It's real sad. I think there's a lot of crying going on. It's hard not to cry. 
And then we do the veneration of the cross, which I think is really beautiful. Um, We walk up to the cross. You know, you put your hands on it. You kiss it. I love that. Of course, during COVID, we couldn't do it. So I hope we're back this year doing that because I do think it's beautiful and meaningful and reverent. I'm just real quiet that day. You know, there's no frivolity. It's very quiet, simple, serious, dark. I would consider it to be a dark day. (laughs) I take it really seriously. And then, like I say, I usually watch The Passion of the Christ. And then the next day, Holy Saturday, that's also a very quiet day for me. It's a very um, kind of, I pray a lot, real quiet. I don't play music. I tend to not watch TV. I do a lot of reading, just kind of, you know, finishing off Holy Week and then going to bed because the next day is going to be Easter and then everything is bright and joyous. So that's kind of how I handle the end of Holy Week. Saturday is the Easter Vigil, which begins at sundown. It's a very beautiful, long ceremony that is when the catechumens and the candidates are initiated into the church. And it's, I want to say, about three hours long. It starts in the dark. It's very beautiful. Candles are lit which starts adding light. It's just a very long, beautiful process. I remember when I was involved in the Easter Vigil, it was very exciting, and I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Some people go to the Easter Vigil every um, year, and some people only go when they have somebody involved in it. So at least once you should try to go to be involved in Holy Saturday and the Easter Vigil. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful event. You know, one of the things I also found really fascinating is Jesus, he's telling people the whole time before he gets crucified, I'm the Christ, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be risen in three days. Nobody believes him. Nobody believes that what he's saying is true, except for maybe his his disciples and his apostles, but they don't believe him. They take it for granted. They're just like, okay, whatever you're saying, Lord, we don't know if it's true or not, which they should have believed him. You know, I think all the time, like, you know how we, we take people for granted. We like think, oh, you know, they'll be here tomorrow. Oh, you know, I'll call them tomorrow. I'll go see them tomorrow. Um, You know, we have to really be reminded that you can't take people for granted. Of course, this is to the extreme with Christ and and his followers, but they should have listened to him and maybe valued more about what he was doing while he was with them and also putting even more importance on him. I think most of them did, obviously. You know, the way that we can show love to Christ now is to just show so much gratitude, be so reverent about what he did, you know, to not take him for granted, to not take this relationship you have with Christ for granted. You know, even like going to church, don't take that for granted. You know, the fact that he died for us, think about that. Don't just think about it on Holy Week or Lent or, or you know, Good Friday. Think about it all the time. Think about it every time you go to Mass look at that crucifix, look at that and go, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, for, you know, sacrificing yourself for me so willingly. 
because you love me so much. Thank you for doing that. Have that vision in your head of what he went through every single time you go to Mass. And then also remember the celebration of the resurrection, which we'll get into (laughs) next week. But, you know, really take it seriously. Um, Our little complaints and our little, you know, um, things that we go through are nothing compared to what he went through. You know, I just get a little wound up about the dismissiveness of that people don't really think about how serious what Christ did for us is. And I, I am happy when people come, you know, for Ash Wednesday and come and participate in Lent and, you know, come to the Holy Week of events. They're very serious and they're very meaningful. And I think that's really important. But really, we should be living this, you know, gratitude every day of every year for what Christ did for us. You know, I'm also fascinated with the fact that everything Jesus said over 2,000 years ago happened. It happened. It's still happening. He is still very important in everybody's lives. He wasn't just some guy that came in and was nice and treated people nicely, and then that was it. We never heard from him again. This has been going on for over 2,000 years, and it's all very life changing and life affirming. We have things in our world today that are just not important and they're not serious, honestly, in the scheme of life. And, you know, all these things that Jesus did and lived through and is continuing today, that's what's important. I've talked about in in other episodes how I love the meaning and the richness of the Catholic Church. All these ceremonies that we do are so visual. They're very visual. We get to like, you know, if you do wrap your mind around things and and envision instead of the priest that you're envisioning Christ, you know, if you have to envision Jim Caviezel, because that's a good, you know, way to think about it. Or whoever, you know, like any artwork that you can think of of Jesus where you can resonate with it and go, oh, I'm picturing Jesus consecrating the host. I'm picturing um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet when the priest goes to do that on Holy Thursday for part of the Mass. Um, You know, those are things that are really important to visualize. Well, this was a heavy episode. Next week will be more joyous. Easter will be here. So thank you for going through this heavy episode with me. I hope you have a very meaningful Holy Week and really dig deep into it and look forward to Easter so that, you know, you have something bright to look forward to. And um, I hope you're enjoying all these podcasts. I know I'm enjoying doing them. I know I'm enjoying getting a lot of feedback and, um, I feel like I even have some little fans and I'm like, I love that. So it makes me feel great because my goal is to evangelize. And so I appreciate that you're helping me do that. I would also love to come talk to any groups, Bible studies. Um, Please reach out to me at freshcatholic.com and you can email me anytime. You could also follow me on social media. Instagram is at freshcatholic, Facebook Fresh Catholic. Um, I would also appreciate you sharing my podcast with your friends and family. 
and giving me a five-star rating and review if you're on Apple Podcasts. And I think that's it. Thank you for listening. Love you. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. Now go out and be a bright light in someone's life. And remember, be focused, be faithful, and be fresh. Fresh Catholic is recorded at Wonder Mouse Studios at the Castle at Pierpont in Ventura, California. My producer and engineer is Sarah Espel, and she could be yours too. Our podcast studio is available for rent. You can reach us at wondermouse.us or freshcatholic.com.